0: COMING UP THIS EVENING ON NTD BUSINESS. THE PRESIDENT TODAY ANNOUNCING A BAN ON RUSSIAN OIL AND GAS IMPORTS TO AMERICA IS IN RESPONSE TO RUSSIA'S INVASION OF UKRAINE. MCDONALD'S PULLING OUT OF RUSSIA, SHUTTERING HUNDREDS OF LOCATIONS it's JOINING A GROWING GROUP OF COMPANIES, SEVERING TIES WITH THE COUNTRY. AND AMID U.S.-CHINA TRADE TENSIONS, DO AMERICAN COMPANIES IN CHINA WANT TO STAY THERE? A NEW SURVEY GIVES SOME INSIGHT. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. After intense public backlash over Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the United States is taking aim at Russian energy. President Biden says the U.S. will now ban all Russian oil, natural gas, and coal imports.
1: Today, I'm announcing the
2: United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine.
0: The U.S. is making the move without Europe. Germany is too dependent. Gas prices are hitting all-time highs. The national average now over $4.17. Biden acknowledging the Russia ban will cause more pain at the pump.
2: This is a step that we're taking to inflict further pain on Putin. But there will be cost as well here in the United States.
0: The president did say he would try to protect consumer wallets, but didn't spell out exactly how. He did ask businesses to go easy on Americans in the meantime. The U.S. oil and gas industry seemingly happy with the ban, though. Republican lawmakers also celebrating the news. But they don't want foreign countries to fill the gap. They want more American production.
2: We're certainly calling on the administration not just to ban Russian oil but to come and truly have an energy strategy that's all of the above, an American energy strategy. Because even under this administration, they're projecting a 50 percent increase in global energy demand.
0: But keep in mind, Russian imports only make up a fraction of American energy, about 8 percent last year. 3 percent was Russian oil also keep in mind as prices may continue to rise oil is up over 80 percent since december and every time we've seen crude rally over 50 percent we've entered a recession hat to Jim jim bianco for that one europe wants to drop russian energy too but it can't afford to it's too dependent and russia knows it now it's threatening to cut off the natural gas flow to europe if the west bans russian oil imports the threat comes as the E.U. releases a plan to unshackle itself from Russian energy. Anthony's Colin Fredrickson has more. It's hard, bloody hard, but it's possible
3: if we're willing to go further and faster than we've done before. The European Union Tuesday released a plan to make Europe independent from Russian fossil fuels well before 2030. Currently, Europe is heavily dependent on Russia's energy. Recent data says the EU receives around 27% of its crude oil imports, 47% of its solid fuel imports, and 41% of its natural gas imports from Russia. The EU imports 90% of its gas. Key points in the plan involve diversifying gas supplies, reducing faster the use of fossil fuels and increasing renewables. Right now it's about 20 percent, 22 percent of the EU's energy comes from renewables. And it's really hard to increase that. I mean, renewables take up the land. They also demand a great amount of uh, Resources. Energy expert John Davies believes cutting back on natural gas is suicide. The EU really practically can increase the use of coal in some of the shuttered coal plants, not allow the nuclear to close. And then people have to shut shut down and really cut back on the use of energy. And Russia recently threatened to cut its natural gas to Europe by the Nord Stream 1 pipeline.
4: This would be, frankly, catastrophic to the European economy, to the German economy. Uh, to lose uh, this massive source of energy
3: supply. Petroleum economist Carr Ingham says this may merely be bluster because Russia itself would also be severely hurt. Energy expert Jason Isaac says the EU is highly dependent on Russia because of their decarbonization goals.
2: What that's resulted in,
0: in the last year alone, over a 60 percent increase in the cost of electricity. More people are burning wood in their homes to stay warm in the winter. The cost of wood has gone up significantly.
3: The European Commission says it continues to work with neighbors and partners who are committed to the same long-term climate goals.
5: We expect to be on the safe side for this winter, but we need to get ready for the next one.
3: Alan Fredrickson,
0: NTD News. But after stocking up on cheap Russian oil last week, energy giant Shell says it's sorry, said it won't do it again. Shell, which is based in the United Kingdom, said it is immediately breaking off all ties to Russia, including all purchases of Russian crude oil. And he's also shutting down gas stations across Russia, reconfiguring its supply chain to cut out Russian crude altogether. But the news comes along with the company's CEO apology over his decision last week to buy a cargo of Russian crude oil at a discount. He said all remaining profits from the purchase will be used to help Ukraine number of Shell's competitors have already cut ties to Russian crude over the country's invasion of Ukraine. And the wars there seems to still be weighing down stocks. Wall Street ending lower again today after a volatile session. The Dow fell 185 points, 6 tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 lost 30 points, 7 tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq lost 35 points, about 3 tenths of a percent today. If you're planning to buy a new car, you want to act fast. Prices for metals used in car making are soaring. Traders are worried that Russian supplies could be interrupted, even though they aren't included in Western sanctions yet. Russia supplies about 40% of Germany's nickel and titanium. It's also a big producer of iron ore. The price of nickel used in making stainless steel hit a record high today, a record high. London Metal Exchange took the rare step of suspending nickel trading amid wild price gains. Prices for other key metals have also been hitting all-time highs. Automakers were already struggling with the chip shortage. Now, industry experts say U.S. car prices are up almost a fifth over the past year alone. This year's sticker shock could be even worse than last. Sorry to tell you, but airfares could be flying up too. Ukraine crisis pushing oil prices higher. Today, Brent crude surged past $127 a barrel. Qantas Airways is already warning it could mean higher prices ahead. And oil prices aren't the only problem. Airlines are also having to take roundabout routes to avoid Russian and Ukrainian airspace. That adds to flight times, fuel consumption, even crew costs. It also means planes carry less cargo, reducing revenues. Right now, the biggest impact on flights between Europe and destinations in Asia like Japan and South Korea. And the crypto exchange Coinbase is cracking down on tens of thousands of Russian wallets. It says it's supporting sanctions and blocking accounts of Russians who are suspected of illegal activity. Sean Marshall reports.
1: Coinbase announced it has blocked over 25,000 addresses related to Russian individuals or entities believed to be engaging in illicit activity. Many were identified through their own investigations. To play their part in enforcing economic sanctions, Coinbase implements a multi-layered global sanctions program. By 1. Block access to sanctioned actors. To open a Coinbase account, individuals and entities must provide identifying information, including their names and country of residence. Two, detect attempts at evasion. Coinbase regularly updates the global sanctions list that they use for screening. And three, anticipate threats. Coinbase maintains a blockchain analytics program to identify high-risk behavior, study emerging threats, and develop new defenses to minimize damage. For example, they have methods for identifying accounts held by sanctioned individuals outside of Coinbase.
2: Companies have said, right, we're breaking connections with Russia just in case we step over the line.
1: Crypto exchanges don't do that. They are strictly only doing what they have to, but they are doing it. David also says the main worry is not that there will be a country-sized evasion of sanctions like using crypto to balance its payments. You'll have individual sanctioned people like the oligarchs or even just fairly rich people
2: who are sanctioned, but they're trying to get the money out through crypto. They might be able to manage maybe on the order of millions of dollars, but it'll be a lot of work and they'll be very
1: traceable. Crypto exchanges in the U.S. and around the world have agreed to follow sanctions, but they refuse to ban everyday Russians over the conflict in Ukraine. Sean Marshall, NTD News, New York.
0: McDonald's is also pulling out of Russia, It's temporarily shutting down its restaurants there and pausing all operations in response to the invasion of Ukraine, obviously. The fast-food giant had more than 800 locations in Russia at the end of last year. Most McDonald's locations across the world are operated by franchise operators, but not so in Russia. 84% of the locations are operated by McDonald's itself. McDonald's says it has more than 62,000 workers in Russia. It's been there for the past 30-plus years. But the CEO says their values mean they can't ignore the human suffering unfolding in ukraine despite political tensions between the united states and china more than 80 percent of american companies in china say they don't want to leave according to a new survey from the american chamber of commerce in china is that's really the case and if so why Denise don ma has more
6: does the survey present an accurate picture of what we see on the ground in china Attorney Dan Harris, who represents business clients in China, says
2: it does. This is 100% of what we see, and it's what we've been seeing for probably three years. The companies
6: don't want to leave China despite a slew of concerns.
2: And I think there is, uh, globally, there's a, a caution right now for a number of reasons, one of which is the continuation of the COVID crisis.
6: James Nolt, an expert on political economy, says the companies aren't leaving because of profit.
2: It's a huge market, so they have no reason to leave as long as they're uh, profiting and operating successfully in the country. If you're an American company and you're buying product from China and it's getting delivered, you can read about all the news, you can listen to all the people who say it's just going to get worse. But as long as it's working for you and you're That is not one of the fires you need to put out. You're not going to do much.
6: Harris adds that for some companies, even if they want to leave, they usually don't because it costs too much.
2: Moving out of China and moving somewhere else is not easy, and it's not fast, and it's not cheap.
6: Even though it seems the majority of companies surveyed don't intend to leave China, they're not making major investments inside China either. This could be because companies are worried about the potential risks, which could be significant.
2: This is the kind of advice we give our clients. Figure out how to best minimize their footprint. And to be in a position where when things get really bad, your losses are less. Um, I think what's happened in Russia is incredibly instructive. More
6: than a third of those surveyed said they would actually reduce investment in China due to an uncertain policy environment in the country. Don Ma, NTD News.
0: So when the dust finally settles in Europe, will globalization remain as strong? We just heard from Don Ma that despite all the challenges with supply chains during the pandemic, concerns about forced labor in China, businesses don't seem ready to pull production. On the flip side, Europe wants to sanction and punish Russia for its war in Ukraine, but it can't afford to drop Russian energy. If the conflict continues and escalates, it could be harder to conduct business globally. So is it the end of globalization? So joining us to discuss is Dr. Giselle Jamieson, Director of Political Science Programs at St. Thomas University in Miami, Florida. Dr. Jamieson, thanks so much for coming on.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Dr. Jamison, do you see, given the recent events in Ukraine, et cetera, do you see potentially a slowdown or maybe even a reversal in the globalization trend?
5: Well, the, the short and the quick answer is yes, not a reversal, but perhaps a little bit of a slowdown, particularly because as we very much are all aware in following this trend, the political processes that are occurring in Ukraine are tied hand in hand with economic processes. And we have oil in the mixture of this that all of us in the West needed desperately. So how this process will develop might put a little bent as we're moving forward in the processes of globalization.
0: I think Europe seems to be in a in a tough spot at the moment. They, they want to diversify their energy source from Russia, but it seems they can't afford to do it because they're just so heavily reliant on Russia. Do you see any change in the way Western governments handle relationships with countries like Russia and China to not allow these countries so much leverage over them in the future?
5: It will have to be. I mean, if there is one... I, I, I wouldn't say it positive but perhaps um one outcomes that might be good of all of this is that we are seeing even with the short period of time since the conflict started a unified europe which we didn't see that with the uk leaving the european union there were serious question mark particularly for us academicians that are you know study this and teach this and now we so in the short period of time, seem to be a reversal, a positive reversal for Europe, a unified, particularly in the last week, in the last days. That is a positive trend. Also, if the Biden administration can capture the momentum with countries that perhaps have not seen eye to eye, particularly since the Trump administration, right, and they can form a more, unified front then we might see more positive coming out of this and a more uniform way of how do you deal with autocratic governments
0: it's incredible united states and perhaps europe as well is incredibly reliant on china for medicine just like europe is for um oil you think this this whole event of almost weaponizing commodities has come as as a surprise to western governments
5: Uh, It shouldn't, right? (laughs) I mean, we we have been dealing with this, with the deepening of capitalization and your question at the beginning, right, of globalization for a long time. And all of a sudden, we act surprised. I don't think it should be a surprise to anybody. But I think it more like a little wake up call of saying, is there a different way to deal with issues that are of extreme necessity. You're correct. The medicine, the pandemic show us how vulnerable we are, not just with medicines, right? But even simple masks of how to, or, or the famous vaccine and all these issues come together that they might be, you know, a revitalization of this new economic order that was supposed to be new and it was supposed lasting and perhaps it's not as new and as lasting as originally
0: thought. A lot of questions still to answer. Dr. Giselle Jameson, St. Thomas University, appreciate it, thank you.
5: Well, thank you so much, my pleasure. Have a good day.
0: Apple's unveiled a new iPhone, iPad, and more at its first launch event of the year. Highlights from today's launch include a new budget iPhone SE, an updated iPad Air, and a more powerful Mac chip. The M1 Ultra Mac chip will be used in the new Mac Studio, a desktop computer without a display. The price for a Mac Studio will start at $4,000. Apple's M1 chip will also be used in an updated iPad Air. The new iPad features 5G connectivity, a revamped camera too. It'll retail for $600 and hit stores March 18th and... Just in time for St. Patrick's Day, Apple announced you can get an iPhone 13 in a new color, green, starting Friday. And Google is buying the cybersecurity firm Mandiant for nearly $5.5 billion. Both companies made the announcement today. Mandiant focuses on cyber threat intelligence response and testing. It's also known for uncovering the SolarWinds hack. You'll remember that was a breach that impacted a number of federal agencies and big private businesses. Acquisition is one of Google's largest to date. It's expected to help the company provide secure cloud solutions to people around the world. A federal judge has blocked Oregon's ban on so-called real estate love letters. Those are personal notes from prospective home buyers to sellers. Buyers often write the notes to appeal to a seller to accept a less-than-competitive offer on the home, but Oregon outlawed the letters because they could potentially lead sellers to make decisions based on personal information like the buyer's race or religion. The Pacific Legal Foundation, though, had filed a lawsuit against the ban on behalf of a real estate group in the state. And Evelyn Lee talks to one of the lawyers.
4: Joining me is Ethan Blevins. He is an attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation. Great to have you, Ethan. Thanks for having me. Now, the ban on so-called real estate love letters is blocked, and that's a case that your foundation won. So can you talk to me about the problems that you saw with that law?
7: Sure. So there's a broader principle at stake here, which is the right to speak and the right to share information um, and the right to receive information. So sellers want this information. They like to know about buyers. Uh, They often would rather sell to, for example, somebody who intends to occupy the home as opposed to somebody who's just an investor. Um, They like to know their home's going to be taken care of. And so these letters are a way for buyers and sellers to communicate with each other about things that matter to them. Um, A buyer might want to share why they love the home or why they like being close to their work or close to a particular school or whatever it may be. And sellers want to know a little bit about individuals are going to be taking over this home that they love and that they've been in for many years. The broader principle, though, is that they have a right to do that under the First Amendment. It protects their right to communicate, even even if it's about something that might seem trivial to others, such as a commercial transaction. Obviously, buying a home is a significant decision. Um, People care about their homes, and their right to speak about that is protected by the First Amendment.
4: But on the other hand, though, do you think the concerns that were raised were reasonable at all, like that there will be buyers who try to appeal to the sellers by revealing certain personal information because in the end their offer might just not be con- competitive?
7: So there's, there's no question that some of these letters do contain uh, personal information that we... the the state of Oregon prohibits sellers to discriminate on the basis of, for example, if somebody shares a picture of of their family, that might show you something about, for example, their race or their family status. Um, Sellers can't discriminate on that basis. But the way for the state to deal with that is to enforce its laws against discrimination itself, not against sharing the information. So our theory in this case is that The government's taken a step too far, it has a legitimate interest in preventing discrimination, has no evidence that these letters are used to discriminate, and the government can't just bar the sharing of information because that information might be misused um, down the road. So the way for the state to deal with this is to require disclosure, to train people, and ultimately just to enforce the anti-discrimination laws that exist on the books already.
4: And your company actually said that these letters are extremely valuable, and that's a quote, and that they do a lot of good. Can you explain that?
7: Sure, so uh, this is a way for especially um, first-time home buyers and home buyers who need that competitive edge because they might not be as financially competitive as others in the market to give that competitive edge that they need. Uh, so we have instances, for example, where a seller will actually sell to a lower offer because of a letter that moved them, uh, because somebody's a first-time home buyer as opposed to an investor, for example. So this is a way for those individuals to get an edge in the competitive market, especially against investors who have a lot of money that they can throw behind an offer. Uh, It Also is helpful for a small real estate firm like Total Real Estate Group, who are competing against these larger um, real estate brokers they uh, are able to tell a personal story, they're able to make this more personal and, and thereby make the transaction hopefully um, more accessible to, small fam- to families, to first-time home buyers and so on.
4: I see. Ethan Blevins, Pacific Legal Foundation, really appreciate you coming on.
0: Thank you. Gonna take a quick break, but stay with us. Small businesses in Chicago raising funds for victims of the conflict in Ukraine. They're doing it through culinary creativity. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has created a humanitarian crisis. Now, Chicago's small businesses are finding creative ways to support Ukrainian civilians. Idris Khan Fredrickson has the story.
3: The Russian bombing of Ukrainian cities has caused major shortages of critical supplies. The civilian suffering is pulling the heartstrings of people in Chicago. Small restaurants there are creating new dishes to raise funds for Ukrainians. Wherewithal is an American restaurant, but its Ukrainian-American owner is transforming the entire menu to Ukrainian-inspired dishes for one week. We're trying to put our creative twist on things, um, just to open, open people's eyes to um, what Ukrainian food can be. So for every diner um, that comes in this week, we're going to be donating $4.00. Um, Per dinner sold, we're donating to Razom for Ukraine, which is a um, which currently they're providing um, humanitarian aid and medical supplies uh, to people in Ukraine. Tortello is an Italian eatery known for its authentic pasta that's made from scratch using Italian flour. Its owner and head pasta maker wanted to support Ukrainians with his pasta.
2: We decided to make this flag of uh, pasta using spirulina and flour I made the color of the Ukrainian flag and sell it and 100% of the revenue go to the Ukrainian village community.
3: Tortello's customers enjoy the new creation. It was delicious. We, uh, My family loved it and um, we'll definitely be back soon. Glad they're doing everything they can to support this community and um, everything going on in this world today.
2: Uh, we actually sold out every single day, um, and that makes me extremely happy because make makes me understand how supportive people are, especially in this kind of situation which are um, pretty sad for the rest of the world, for part of the world, actually.
3: The restaurant owners hope their donations will make a small difference in the lives of Ukrainians and help give them some relief. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News.
0: As the latest business updates for today, can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.